Well, good morning, and hello to you in the fellowship hall. Greetings to those of you joining us online. I'm really glad that you are connected with us this way today, that we have the opportunity to learn and grow in response to God's word and together as followers of Jesus. I've only got two of these left. I only get two more shots. I'm not planning to leave a lot left in the tank, forgive me. <laughs> a couple months ago, my family and I took a spring break trip this year. We flew down to Dallas. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but tickets from here to Dallas are pretty cheap. We flew to Dallas and rented a car and drove to Houston. Texas is little. It's not going to take very long to drive across Texas. We drove to Houston and visited my cousin. And then we drove across to Austin and visited some friends, Brad and Vanessa Johnson, who are the uh, founders of Mission of Hope in Haiti, known to many of you. We visited them in Austin. And uh, do you all know the, the kind of informal, unofficial motto for the city of Austin? Yeah. Keep Austin weird. That's, uh, that's their city motto. You can find about a million of those online. That's where that comes from. That is not me with my thumb up right there. Keep Austin weird. Now, I don't know a ton about Austin. I don't know a ton about Texas. But from what I understand, Austin is kind of an island in the state of Texas. It may be your part that you would like. It may be your part you wouldn't like. And I don't really care that much about Austin and Texas. But they do. And there are unique characteristics of Austin that Austintonians, that's probably not the right word, is it? But I like it. Austintonians don't want to see change. There are things they like about who they are. They say, we don't want to be like everybody else. We want to be like us. We think it's important for us to be us. We don't want to texify Austin. It has struck me for years, this is my first visit to the city of Austin, but I've known that motto for a long time, struck me as a, as a good challenge to Christian communities, as a good challenge to Christian communities to be weird for the right reasons, to be weird for the right reasons, because sometimes we're weird for the wrong reasons, you know, the cringy, embarrassing stuff, the stuff that makes you want to apologize to non-Christians on behalf of other Christians, the angry street corner preachers damning everyone to hell. We're in a series on the prophets right now, and I've been, it's been suggested to me that those guys are just the prophets, and I won't waste your time, but I don't really think that's right. There are Christian movies that every time you go, you wonder why Christians have to make movies that are second-rate cinematography with weak writing and poor acting. I wonder why I always recognize the Christian movies that way. The contemporary Christian music that's often 10 years behind actual contemporary music. The jargony, insidery language that we use sometimes when we get together that makes it hard for outsiders to understand us. True story. True story, long time ago now, I was a young person then, but true story, I was in college, I think, and uh, one of my friends, a Christian, was talking to a non-Christian friend. The non-Christian friend was genuinely curious in the spirit of sort of college discussions and asked, so what, what is it about Christians? What does it mean to be a Christian? My Christian friend answered the non-Christian, it means to be washed in the blood of the lamb. Gross. We don't want to be weird for the wrong reasons. But other times, I think we're not weird at all, or at least not weird enough. Too often, all of us, myself included, we who call ourselves Christians, embody basically the same values, practices, and behaviors as the rest of the world. People who call themselves Christians are entertained by entertainment that is just as hyper-violent and over-sexualized as everybody else rather than holding up the dignity of every human being. 
Oftentimes, we spend our money on ourselves and share at the same minimal rates with others as basically everybody else does. It's not always true. It's not true of everybody. It's true enough. People who call themselves Christians seem to embody and espouse racist attitudes at about the same rate as everybody else. And to the degree that this is true, and it is not always true, it is not true of every person, it may not be entirely true of you, and none of us want it to be true about ourselves. But to the degree that it's true, and it is true to a certain degree, it makes me wonder if we're actually followers of anybody different than anybody else in the world, including those who don't say that Jesus is Lord. And it makes me wonder why anybody would ever want to become one of us who isn't already. And I ask myself, is there any way for us to keep it weird for the right reasons? And I really believe that there is. And one of the big reasons that I think so, and one of the big reasons I'm talking to you about it today, is because this is exactly the same sort of dilemma that was faced by this old Hebrew prophet named Daniel that we are reading about today. Angie kicked us off last week in a summer-long series on some of these prophets from the biblical Old Testament. And we started with the story of Daniel. Daniel was a Hebrew guy who lived about 2,500 years ago, give or take. He was living happily and comfortably and worshiping God until his people were conquered and he was carried off to a foreign land. And he was, re he was displaced and relocated. In his new land, he was a racial minority and he was also a religious minority. And in his world, Daniel was weird. And his commitment to God was at the heart of his weirdness. And I think that we can learn from Daniel how to be weird for the right reasons. The first thing I think we can learn from Daniel that will help us with this is simply that keeping it weird is actually the right thing to do. That we're actually supposed to be different we can learn from Daniel to embrace the weird. And it's not just an Old Testament thing. It's not just the thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago thing. It's not just an Israelite thing. We heard some of Daniel's particular stories last week and also in our children's message this week. But the New Testament describes the Christian community, the church on earth, in much the same way as an alternative and hopeful community in the normal world. Jesus said to his followers, you are the salt of the earth, right? You're the salt of the earth. You exist to be different from and for the sake of the betterment of the world. But what good's a salt if it loses its saltiness, if you stop being salty, if you stop being different? I don't think this means salty like angry, grumpy, cantankerous, like we sometimes mean salty. Different for the good of the world. He also said in that same passage, you're a city on a hill, right, that stands out, that's visible. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and not glorify you, but glorify your Father who is in heaven. You're supposed to be different. In the letter that he wrote to the Philippian Christians, the Apostle Paul told the Roman Philippians that their citizenship was in heaven. The word he used was that you are like a colony of heaven on earth. They're part of a heavenly colony on earth. Those were fighting words because Philippi was actually a Roman colony in Greece. And he said they were a heavenly colony on earth. Citizenship was actually a big deal, a current term in their environment. And Paul said to them, 
Your real identity, your real allegiance is to Jesus and not to your empire. You are a different people. The first thing that Daniel and the rest of the Bible teach us is to go ahead and embrace the weird. But then in what ways? Daniel, his example, shows us that our weirdness comes partly from our values, from what we value and what we practice in the practical parts of our lives. Just one simple example. God's people have always been challenged all throughout biblical history and since. God's people have always been challenged to live with a greater commitment to mercy and justice for the disadvantaged than anybody else embodied. When Daniel spoke to the king of Babylon, he had an audience with the king. And in Daniel 4.27, he said to King Nebuchadnezzar, renounce your sins. That's a gutsy thing to say to the king, isn't it? Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness. Renounce your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. Because the world, then and now, is not generally kind to the oppressed. But we are called and made to be weird in that regard, too. I'd like to ask you and us to reflect on that for a moment. Your own life and our church community and the broader church in the world, do you think personally that your commitment to the vulnerable stands out as remarkable in a mostly uncompassionate world? Do you think for our church community, does our church's commitment to the vulnerable stand out as remarkable in a mostly uncompassionate world? What about the church in America or the church around the world? Do we stand out? Does our commitment to the vulnerable stand out as remarkable in a mostly uncompassionate world? To the degree that it does, praise God. To the degree that it doesn't, I think Jesus would invite us to repent, to turn around and follow him. Daniel taught us to embrace the weird. He teaches us that our weird comes partly in our values. Daniel also shows us that our weirdness is also in our worship. It's right there in the heart of our spiritual lives. Daniel himself got into hot water for this. He was committed to regular prayer, regular prayer to and worship of the living God. The book of Daniel tells us that Daniel prayed three times a day, in the morning and at night and in the middle of the day. It was his regular routine. And his country punished that, and he got thrown into the lion's den. Our worship practices will also come into conflict with the priorities of our world. You know, my kids and many others, I'm not alone in this, have had to miss commitments, sports commitments, things like that, or other things, because our world does not care that Christians gather once a day on the Lord's Day, as they have for 2,000 years, to honor Jesus, pray, learn God's word together, and be strengthened and formed for the weirdness of life outside of this place. Nobody in the world cares about this, and it will cost you to do it. Daniel teaches us to embrace the weird, that the weird will play itself out in our values and practices, and it is rooted in our worship. We're different, right? We're different from the world. But when it comes to the world, we are all in this together, right? We're all in this together, followers of Jesus and non-Christians alike. And this is a breakdown in my analogy with Austin. I think it might be helpful to clarify this. I don't think the average Austintonian is 
all that concerned on a regular basis with the state of things in, say, South Dakota. I don't know, but I doubt it. It's not their problem. But Christians share the heart of God for the world. And friends, God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Listen, the world is not your friend, but it is your beloved. The world is not your friend, but it is your beloved. And Daniel embodied this, right? I mean, here he was, carried away from his homeland, displaced and relocated into a foreign place, where in many ways he was hated and despised, though also elevated and used. And in his capacity, he served the king, and he did his job, and he worked for the good of the Babylonian community. He modeled it. And another one of God's people who lived at the same time, an ancient prophet named Jeremiah, taught his fellow Israelites this very same thing. In Jeremiah 29, 7, the prophet Jeremiah taught his people to seek the peace. The Hebrew word there is the shalom, the wholeness, the flourishing, the good, the peace. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which you live. You've been carried off there. You're exiles there. You're a weirdo there. You're a minority there. But seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which you live. Pray for it. Seek and pray for it. Because we're all in this together. In our own context, we would seek and pray for the good of the kids in your neighborhood. Your neighborhood schools, parks, businesses, community associations. For the flourishing, the peace, the prosperity of the people all around you. Because we're all in this together. Daniel and Jeremiah, they did this and they taught this to their fellow countrymen in exile. They were in it together with the Babylonians, even though they were different from them. But they were only just a foreshadowing of God's own commitment to do exactly that. In the person of Jesus, God himself moved into our fallen, broken lives God himself moved into our fallen, broken world. I mean, God is deeply different, right? On this analogy, he's the Daniel and we're the Babylon. But he came for us. He came for our good, to rescue us, to teach us, to free us, to forgive us, to die with and for us, to defeat evil, and to refound the world. John 1.14 says about Jesus that the word of God became flesh and dwelled among us. Another paraphrase of that verse says the word of God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's what God has done for us. That's what God has done for us. And that's what God wants to do in us, through us, for the world. Here's what I think that the Bible is teaching us through Daniel and other passages teaching us to hold together three things on the one hand dramatic difference dramatic difference we're called to follow jesus in a whole new way of being human jesus didn't say come follow me and i'll leave you basically alone come follow me and he invited us into a whole new way of life at the same time fundamental sameness we share the same human condition we are all in this together and when we live from dramatic difference in fundamental sameness, it breeds the fruit of empathetic love, right? What the great old Christian Saint Augustine said, there but for the grace of God go I. We're in this together and we live with love for the world. You know, I think throughout most of human history, 
We've been so bad at holding difference and love together. Most of the time, we recognize difference and we define ourselves against one another. It happens in nationality, it happens in race, it happens in religion. We think you're different from me and therefore you are my enemy. This is a short way of describing the history of the world. As a theologian, I look at it and I see original sin. Then, on the other hand, though, sometimes our hearts, something in our hearts glimpses and realizes that this is destructive, and so we just then give up on the difference. They go, never mind, let's just all be the same. Difference is dangerous. But that never worked. It's never going to work because it's not true either. As followers of Jesus, there's a third way for us where we can embrace dramatic difference, recognize fundamental sameness, and live with empathetic love. Here's the way I see the challenge playing out for us as we attempt to be weird in Babylon. Just not a bad way to refer to the world in which we live. Here's the challenge I see. On the one hand, we might live in judgment of Babylon with a failure to empathize and believe that the world is my enemy. On the other hand, we might experience assimilation to Babylon and a failure to differentiate and believe that the world is my friend. But I think there's a third option. It's not really so much halfway in between the two as it is a new way. Illustrated by Daniel, established by God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And understanding that the world is not your friend, but neither is it your enemy. It is your beloved. And you live with dramatic difference, but also recognize our fundamental sameness. And live with the fruit of empathetic love for our neighbors. Let me ask you a question about looking at a a chart like that, at a diagram like that, which end of that upper spectrum do you think poses the greater danger to you or to us? And honestly, it could be parts of both in different situations. But let me ask you, do you think you're more in danger of something over there on the right side, being weird for the wrong reasons, full of judgment, regarding the people around you as your enemies, if that's where you are, let me ask you, what do you think the Holy Spirit of God wants to do in you to change your heart? What can you do to hand that attitude over to God and ask God to replace it with love and compassion, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? Or on the other hand, do you recognize yourself maybe on the left side of a diagram like that just too assimilated, not weird at all, undifferentiated. And if that's the case, let me ask you, do you think that the spirit of the living God is pricking your heart for some kind of way of living differently? For honoring the different values of the Christian community, pursuing different goals, making different choices in your and our relationships, finances, life priorities. As a church community... I want to leave you with this challenge. Be weird for the right reasons. Be a countercultural Christian community for the common good. Be a weird countercultural Christian community for the common good. And let me share with you in closing some words spoken by an outsider to the Christian community, someone who is hostile to the Christian faith, a couple centuries after Christ. These words are from the pagan Roman emperor Julian who was trying to exterminate 
Christianity. But he never called it Christianity. He referred to Christians as Galileans, in the words you're about to hear, because they were associated with Jesus from Galilee. I kind of like that, even though we're clearly not all from Galilee, which is northern Israel. He knew enough to associate them with Jesus. I appreciate that. And he calls them atheists. He calls the Christians atheists, which is a little hard to wrap your head around at first. But he calls them atheists because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. And they were leading people astray into atheism, where they no longer worshipped Mars, the god of war, Aphrodite, the god of sex, Mammon, the god of wealth. They didn't worship the Roman gods anymore. Instead, they were following this Galilean. Here's what Julian said about the infestation of Christians in the empire. We must pay special attention to this. For when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked among us, then I think the impious Galileans observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. And they have gained ascendancy in the worst of their deeds through the credit they win for such practices. They are like those who entice children with cake and then cast them on board a ship as slaves. By the same method, the Galileans also begin with their so-called love feasts. You may never heard of that before. It was something early Christians did. They hosted these big banquets to which everybody was invited, and they fed the poor, and they welcomed everyone to the table, and they also probably celebrated the Lord's Supper while they were there. These Galileans begin with their so-called love feasts, or hospitality to strangers, or service of tables. For they have many ways of carrying it out. What is it but discipleship to Jesus, the kingdom of God, the new creation? They have many ways of carrying it out and hence call it by many names. And the result is that they have led very many into atheism. And then again, he wrote separately, Why do we not observe that it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done the most to increase atheism. I believe that we, we pagan Romans, he wouldn't have used the word pagan, we Romans, we ought to practice every one of these virtues, these weird virtues. For it is disgraceful that when the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. Those Christians, they were captured by the love of Jesus for them and for the world, and they were loyal to his teaching and to his leading. And in the eyes of the empire, that made them dangerously weird. God make it so among us today. Let's pray. Good and gracious and powerful God, you have called a people to yourself from the very beginning to embody your love in the world, to be a testimony to your grace, your love, your power, your goodness, and your way on earth, your mission to reconcile all things and all people and all creation to yourself. God, I pray that you would reconcile us to yourself, empower us by your Holy Spirit, form us, in Christ, make us weird for all the right reasons. Convince us of your grace and love and so empower us by your spirit that we would continue to be a powerful testimony to you 
that people would come and want to see you and know you in and through and in spite of us. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.